Have you ever thought that you knew everything there is to know about someone close to you, only to find out that there was more to know? That is in a good way. Perhaps it was something that you either forgot about or only had a partial understanding. That was my experience as I was listening to a friend of my dad's honor him at his funeral service. I remember thinking, wow, and oh yeah, I forgot about that, and hmm, I wish I could have asked dad more about that. Our theme this week is reawakening to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. For those of us who have been Christ followers for a while, the natural response may be to either skip or skim through the scripture readings for each of this week's devotionals. After all, we've probably read these passages multiple times, and some of us might have even preached or taught on one or more of them. But could it be that God wants to reawaken us this week to the things that we either forgot about God, never saw before, or only have a partial understanding? I want to challenge us to go slow this week so that we can see Jesus in all of his fullness, his humility, his love, his compassion, and so much more from his early years throughout his ministry and in his death and resurrection. And if you're a newer follower of Christ, would you ask God to reveal and awaken you to who Christ really is? to broaden your current perspective, or to teach you something new about him. And so as we begin week two, I invite you to join me each day this week with a spirit of anticipation. And I hope we all have moments along the way to say, wow, or oh yeah, I forgot about that, or simply thank you, Jesus. So that's our theme this morning, is to reawaken to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As Ken shared in the video, we probably have heard about these so many times that we run the risk and danger of just kind of glossing over these things and not really stopping to appreciate the majesty and the awesomeness and the glory that's associated with these three uh, activities of Jesus' life, if I can call it that. We, maybe the cares of this world and everything just kind of get in the way and we're so busy with life and things that we just don't stop to reflect on these things enough. We're moving so fast through life that we, we don't really take the time to appreciate how much Jesus has done for us. The image that came to my mind when I was thinking about this was water. Funny image to use in the life of Jesus, isn't it? Matter of fact, if you remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well, what did he say? What kind of water he would give? Living water. And a person who drank of that would never thirst again, right? I thought about this whole water thing, and I was not thinking so much about the living water that Jesus was talking about, but I was actually thinking about the water that we drink. And, you know, we, we kind of go on in life, especially in the summertime around here in Reading. It doesn't get hot here, does it? 
you know, we just kind of, we go through the winter and we have these cold winters like it was 31 degrees this morning at my house. And, and uh, you know, we think, oh, okay, it's not so bad. And we go through all this. And, and then as summer kind of creeps in, things get a little hotter and we're still doing some activity. And it's kind of nice. I can get out and work in the yard now and I can do these things. And all the while, we're not really drinking enough water. We just don't think about it. We don't think about the, the benefits of water and staying hydrated, right? And then we start getting a little bit warmer out here. Things get a little hotter. And pretty soon before you know it, you're dehydrated because you haven't been drinking enough water. You took, you took water for granted and how important it is to our bodies to stay hydrated. And, and then we try to catch up, which is a lot, lot more difficult to rehydrate your body after it's been dehydrated and it is to just stay hydrated throughout the whole process. You see the spiritual parallel? See, we can get going so much in our lives that we don't stay spiritually hydrated with Jesus. That we get dehydrated spiritually. To where then we feel like, oh, I got to catch up. So then we cram. How many verses can I memorize this week? So Jesus is happy with me, right? Maybe if I pray four times today, I'll be caught up and everything will be good. Or whatever it is. But sometimes what we need to do is we just need to slow down, pause, and reflect on some of these old truths. The ones that we have known and heard about time and again, as Ken shared in the video. Today we're going to be looking at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is part of the 40 days of prayer that the Alliance has put together. And each week there is a theme. Last week was reawakening to the glory of Christ. This week it's reawakening the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Next week, Shalem will be preaching. It's reawakening to the Spirit. And, to, and, and looking at the Spirit's ministry and appreciating that. I just gave you your outline, so you're good, okay? <laughs> the Spirit says. No, I, no, no. And so we just need to pause at that. And then as Grace was sharing, the prayer devotional that is there for the next seven days is all reflections on that theme and praying through each of these aspects. In this case of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection this next week. But why do we need to take time to reawaken? Reawaken means simply to recall and, and to, to, to uh, refocus, to appreciate, to be stirred up again. Why do we need to take the time to do that? Because Jesus talked about something about the cares of this world, choking out a life if we let it. And if we just kind of get focused on the things that are going on horizontal in our lives, whether it's at work, family, in the community, whatever it is, COVID. If we get so focused on those things and don't continue to appreciate and remember all that Jesus has done and who he is, all about the majesty and glory of our Heavenly Father, all about the, the, the glorious work of the Holy Spirit, we can, we can lose sight of those things. And so we need to possibly be reawakened be reminded of some of these glorious things. And so that, that's my intent this morning is to just 
point out a few things about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and I want to make a disclaimer here. I can't possibly, this morning, talk about everything to remember about the life of Jesus, or his death, or his resurrection. Matter of fact, I am going to steal a line from the apostle, uh, excuse me, um, John, the disciple John, when he writes in his gospel, in chapter 21, verse 25, this is what he says. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. If I was to try to share with you all of the things about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we would be here for the next 12 to 24 months to talk about those things, at least. Because there are just, there are so many. So this morning, I'm just picking out a few. And we are going to use Hebrews as our reference point to this. So if you have your Bibles, you can get them open to Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going to start. There's a, um, a sermon outline that you were given when you came in the door, so you can get that out as well if you want. But let me just give you just a brief background about Hebrews before we get into this. Hebrews is an interesting book. First of all, we don't know who the author is. And, 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 and so there are many people who have suggested different people. That's, that's not really important. What's important is what is the author talking about? What's the purpose that the author was writing this book? The audience are Jews. They're Jews that were looking for a Messiah. But they weren't looking for a Savior Messiah. They were looking for a political Messiah. And so the author of Hebrews writes this book to paint the picture of who this Jesus is who came. Is was He was a suffering servant Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world, to restore them into a relationship with God. And he does something kind of strange in about the middle of the book. And by the way, if, um, if you haven't ever done this, I want to encourage you to do it. I challenged our connection group last week to do it. And it was, take the book of Hebrews, sit down and read it through in one sitting. Just go through all 13 chapters without stopping. Do it in one sitting. It's a totally different experience. It actually makes more sense when you do it that way. Because I, I've talked with people, and even myself over the years, have looked at portions of Hebrews and trying to understand, what's this Melchizedek stuff? What, how, what does this have to do with anything? And, and as you put it together with the whole, it takes on a whole new life. So I want to challenge you to just consider doing that this week as, as, as part of your uh, uh, devotional time. Just, just read it through in one sitting. And, and let it speak to you. But the, the author of Hebrews speaks in a language to them about, and uses an illustration about Melchizedek to the Jews. Who was Melchizedek? Well, he was the high priest of Salem. He was the priest of priests. He was the standard of which priests were measured by, in essence. He was the greatest, if you will. And the author of Hebrews speaks to the Jewish people when he says, Jesus was greater than that. And is greater than that. He is of the order of Melchizedek, but he's greater than Melchizedek. That spoke a lot to Jews. To us, we wonder, what well, does that mean a lot to us? Not really. We don't have the, the, the reference point. But they did. And it meant tons to them. And so that would catch their attention as you continue to talk about Jesus' ministry. And in Hebrews, he runs, he, he goes through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in snapshot form. So our first thing that we want to look at this morning is reawakening to the life of Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Follow along as I read. 
in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There's a couple of things I want to call to our attention as we seek to reawaken to the life of Christ. A few things here that, that the author mentions that uh, stand out to me. First of all, we need to reawaken to the fact that the life of Jesus Christ, by taking on flesh and blood, he shares our humanity. He shares our humanity. Unlike any other deity that is, that is um, proposed to be out there, Jesus is the only one that took on human form that emptied himself and took on flesh and blood to stand in our place. Listen to what the Apostle Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, about what Jesus did, what he left, what he gave up to come down and stand in your place and my place. We probably heard this a hundred times, but I want to suggest to you, because we've heard it so much, that we possibly have lost the appreciation of the awe and the unselfishness and the glory and the humility of this act. Listen, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, by his life, gave up, set aside, being in glory with his heavenly Father, to come down and step down and walk in our shoes, to walk in our place, to take on human form. Did he have to do that? No. Did he want to do that? Yes and no. Yes, he did to stand in our place, but he also, he also struggled with doing it as we read about in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus is praying in the garden, right? He knows what's coming. And he says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass before me. Now, if he'd have stopped there, I think we might have some questions. But he didn't stop there. He said, yet not my will be done, but yours. He wanted to do the will of his Father. That's what he was sent here for. But he was experiencing that same tension that we possibly would experience as well. If Jesus had never left heaven, set aside his privileges as Paul describes for us in Philippians 2, 
there would have been no life of Jesus walking this earth. Therefore, there would have been nobody to walk in our shoes. Therefore, there would have been no perfect sacrifice offered. There would have been no salvation because there would have been no death on a cross and there would have been no resurrection. Sometimes I think we gloss over the awesomeness of that sacrifice that Jesus is given. And that's what, it, it's what we're calling us back to this morning, is just to pause for a moment and reflect on the awesomeness of that. Not only do we need to re- reawaken the fact that by his life, Jesus shares our humanity, but we also need to reawaken perhaps to the fact that he came to give us life and give it to the full. That's exactly what Jesus said. Listen, as I read John 10, verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is saying here that my, my sheep find pasture. They find the, the good place to go. And I came for them so that they might have life and have it abundantly. We are his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. He came so that you and I could live life abundantly by his definition, not ours. It's something, you know, we think abundantly. Well, we put different definitions to that, don't we? Okay, I want seven cars, three houses, and, you know, whatever, Right? We, we put material things on that to measure it, right? That's not necessarily Jesus' definition of it, or God's definition of it. His definition of it, let's try this one, at least in part, is a glorious relationship with him. We have that abundantly. No matter what the world throws at us, no matter how bad things might seem to get, that we still have that relationship with him. John tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel that in him, Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. That's why he walked this earth in part. That's why he came to give us that opportunity to be set free from the tyranny of sin. If Jesus did not have life, neither would we. Because in him was life. And that life was the light of men. But Jesus did have life and he came to this earth to live a life to show us the way. We also perhaps need to reawaken to the fact that because of his life and Jesus lived among us that he showed us the way. He showed his disciples how to serve. In John 13, verses 12 through 17, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He's humbling himself. He's doing that task that was, that was relegated to servants and seen as something that was derogatory in essence, but it was necessary to do. As people walked about the streets and roads and things, their feet would get dirty, and as they would enter a house, it was customary for a servant to wash the feet of of those visiting if they didn't wash their own. And Jesus is portraying here in this act that he is not above being a servant. 
He's not above doing something so mundane. And he encourages his disciples to be of the same attitude. He says, I have set you this example. Now do what I do, what I have shown you. In verse 10 of Hebrews 2, the author tells us that Jesus is the author of our salvation. The word author here actually means pioneer or trailblazer. That he blazed the trail. As he walked among this earth, he showed us how to live life on this earth without being defeated by sin's tyranny. And the way to do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. By a relationship, an active living relationship that we have with our Savior. He showed us what that would look like. Now, granted, he did some pretty awesome things and things that we just kind of look at and go, oh, man, I, I could never do that. That's pretty wild. It's not about trying to copy Jesus so much. And I think we kind of confuse that, but I can say that. You know, we, we try to be Jesus. That's not what he means. He's telling us that we need to be us and whom the Holy Spirit empowers us to be for him. And yes, he is an example. He is a model. He shows us the way. But he's not out to make a facsimile copy, if you will, of himself. We also need to reawaken to the fact that by his life, Jesus experienced the same temptations that we too experience. That he sympathizes with our weakness is the way that it is put for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, which was our responsive reading this morning, that's what we read. The thought I want to leave with you here with this piece is this. When we talk about, we talk about um, Jesus experiencing our temptations. For whose benefit did he experience those temptations for? Do you think that the God of the universe, Jesus being there at the foundation of the world, the all-knowing triune God, didn't know what temptation felt like for us? Do you think that he was sitting there in heaven and going, <laughs> Father going, I wonder what those people really feel when they go through stuff. Jesus, go down there and figure it out. <laughs> See, some, I, I've read commentators that talk about that and say that Jesus had to experience those temptations so he would know what it felt like. I'm sorry. That does not resonate with me. Because the God, all-knowing God of the universe and his son knew before he left heaven what temptation felt like and what we experienced. Now, he went through it for two reasons. First one's pretty obvious. He went through it so that he could be looked at and claimed to be the perfect sacrifice for sins because he was tempted in every way. And we're going to look at this in a minute. That he was tempted in every way we were yet without sin. That's what we read in Hebrews 4. Right? So that makes him a perfect sacrifice to pay for your sin and my sin so we don't have to go to the cross because he went for us and paid it in full. But here's the second reason I believe it was important for him to experience those temptations is so that we 
would have the confidence to know that he does in fact sympathize with us. That he did truly feel what I feel. That I can't sit there and say, well, Jesus doesn't know because he never experienced it. Yeah, he did. Takes away that excuse, doesn't it? See, he does that for our benefit so we have more confidence to trust in him. I believe that's one of the facts here. That is the kind of love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have for us. Okay, so those are just some of the things out of reawakening to the life of Christ. How about reawakening to the death of Christ? What are some of the things maybe that we need to, to consider here and be reawakened to? Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. I'll read those passages for you here. When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that was not man-made, that is to say, not part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having attained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The first thing I think we need to pause and remember and reflect on here is that because of his death, Jesus has removed the fear of death because he conquered death. If you go back to chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews, it says that he destroyed death and death and, and the fear of death no longer has mastery over us. In verse 15, it says that he set free those who were held in slavery to death. He did this because he, could, he made the perfect sacrifice of his blood. His death resulted in his shed blood, his perfect blood. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ conquered death. And he conquered it for those of us in him who can never Death can never separate us from God's love. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love when you're in Him. His death has paid that price once and for all. His shed blood was a final payment. Sacrifice because of sin was required. Shed blood was required. That's what all of the, the uh, sacrifices of the Old Testament were looking for. When the author of Hebrews here writes about the blood of goats and bulls, he is talking about that that would happen where they would go in and they would offer a sacrifice of a bull and they would slay it and they, they would offer that on the altar. And then they would take the goat and the goat would have all the sins of the people laid on it and then the goat would be taken outside of the city and then it would be released in the wilderness never to return. They called that the scapegoat. 
so that that would symbolize the fact that sins were going away, never to return anymore. And then it talks about the heifer and, and talks about ashes. What would happen is if people uh, touched a dead body or something, it became ceremony, ceremonially unclean. And they would take the heifer and they would burn it. And so then the ashes would be stored outside the city. And if somebody had something that defiled them, the ashes would be taken and they would be spread over the top of the person to make them clean again, ceremonially clean. But those were all types of looking ahead to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus' blood through his death that would wash us clean whiter than snow. That there wouldn't be any single blemish in us. That when, the, when our Heavenly Father looks at us, what does he see? He sees spotless lambs. That's what he sees. And we need to pause and remember and reflect on that. That Jesus' shed blood just wasn't something that we do at communion just to be able to say we're remembering the shed blood. Yes, we do that, but what are we remembering? We're remembering the price he paid. We're remembering what he has done to bring us total cleansing from sin, that sin no longer has any power over us because of the final payment Jesus made on the cross. Romans 6, 8 through 10 tells us that Jesus' death was for the payment for sins for all time. That means his blood reaches not, not only to us today, but it also covers and washes those sins of those in the past who died with, by, by having faith in Christ, even though they didn't necessarily understand exactly what it was, but they, were, they had a type and they were looking forward to it. And his blood also reaches into the future to all those who will die in him. And his blood will cover and pay that price. Paul also tells us that those of us in him, we die with him. For if he died, we die. If he lives, we live. And he does live. Now at the right hand of God. And with that, we can be assured that we too will live. Which takes us into our final area that we want to look at this morning. Awakening to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chapter 10. Verses 12 through 14, we read this. I'm going to start at verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The phrase here that the author uses, sitting at the right hand of God, paints us this picture now that Jesus is not in the tomb. He, he went to the cross, he died, he shed his blood, then he went to the tomb, and he's not in the tomb, he is raised. And where is he now? He's back at the right hand of God where he started from. Remember Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul writes about how he left his throne, emptied himself, took on the form. He went through life, 33 and a half years on earth, ministering. Suffered on a cross, died, shed his blood, went into the tomb, rose again, and now he's back at the right hand of the Father. So what do we need to be in awe about the resurrection of Jesus? What are some of the things that, that maybe we need to reflect on for this? The first one is this. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, he is making intercession for us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39, that's what Paul tells us. 
that Jesus is there interceding for us. So Satan sees Mike there on that day that uh, Mike goes to meet Jesus. Not rushing you, by the way. But he's standing there before Jesus and Satan goes up. Lord, this Mike guy, let me list off the things here about him. I'm purposely not saying some things, okay? You know too much. And the Lord stops him right there. I'm taking a little license here, but I like to think of it this way. The, the Lord stops him right there and says, Father... I know Mike. He's one of ours. I died for him. He has put his faith and trust in me and believes in me. He does not stand condemned because I've taken it for him. So Satan, shut up. I don't know if he actually says that last part. It'd be kind of cool if he did. <laughs> it makes sense. He's making intercession for us. It, because of his resurrection, if he did not raise, there would be no intercession. Where would we be without hope? As a matter of fact, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith would be useless. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. He says, look, if, Christ, if there is no resurrection, Christ be not raised from the dead. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are not raised from the dead. And our faith is in vain and it's useless. And we are to be pitied above all men. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but Christ has been raised from the dead. Here's the evidence of it. And we've looked at some of that evidence this morning a little bit. An empty tomb. For example. And we can look forward to it because he has been raised. So too will we be raised. And we don't have to fear that. People that do not know Jesus have a fear of death that it buries in the different ways they fear it. But we, as his children, should not fear death. I'm not saying be stupid and run out and do something to, you know, to meet Jesus a little sooner. I'm not saying that. Because he's numbered our days. It's not up to us to number our days. What I'm saying is, is that when it's time, that's okay. We're going to go to be with him, and he has shown us that that's a good thing. And the last one I see about his resurrection is this. If Jesus is not raised from the dead... He would, not, he would not be preparing a place for us. And the Holy Spirit would not have been sent. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. He says, I'm going there to prepare your room. To receive you when it's your time. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he would not be preparing our place and we would have no hope. It would make him a liar.
And he says the only way, as you well know this verse from John 14, 6, the only way into that place is through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said in John 16, verses 5 through 11, he said to his disciples, I am going away, and it is for your good that I am going away, because if I don't go away, the promised Holy Spirit will not be sent to you. But when I go, I will send him to you. And this would be his ministry to you. And he will lead you and he will guide you and he will bring you peace and comfort. Did you ever stop to think about the awesomeness of that gift? I mean, did, did God have to send his Holy Spirit? There's a good debate. Well, yeah, he did because he preordained that to happen. But did he? I mean... Because of his love for us, he didn't leave us here alone after Jesus ascended to figure it out. He gave us the greatest gift of all next to our salvation and shed blood is the promised Holy Spirit to help us navigate this maze called life. To help us also enjoy our relationship with Jesus as well. Because ultimately, that's the primary thing while we're on this earth, is to enjoy all of that relationship with Jesus. And that is a big thing. There's so much there with that. It's good to reflect on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to remember these things. Worship team, why don't you come up as I close here with a couple of remarks. Once again, it is easy to take these three aspects for granted and, and, and many others. These are just a few. But to take these aspects for granted and, and the other ones that we're going to look at in the future in Shalem next week is, is helping us refocus on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to also be looking at how God has established his church and, and, and his mission and his coming again. And we can hear these things, but we just kind of gloss over them instead of really appreciating them. And so we need to perhaps reawaken. Maybe this morning these, some of these things stood out to you as new and really moved you and kind of awesome. Maybe they're like, yeah, okay, I, I know that. It's good. Just ask God to show you something new, different here in terms of how to receive these things and how to celebrate these. Again, I want to encourage you maybe take a, take a time this week to read through the entire book of Hebrews. I think it'll be a, an experience. It, it was for me. I've done that a couple times in my life and did it again this last week before this message and just really stood, some things stood out way different for me than before. Didn't have this in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway. When somebody tells you that they have read the Bible time and time again and they've learned everything that there is to learn in it, be wary. Because there's always something new to learn about our Savior. There's always something new to learn about our God. We possibly can't know all of these things. 
That doesn't mean we have to have some new truth, as Grace pointed out. Because God's truth is still God's truth. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's our learning about what's already there that needs to be enlarged and changed and challenged. Expect the Holy Spirit to reveal to you whatever it is that you need to see about him. In your connection groups this week, if you're going over this message and things, I, I, I've outlined these three areas for here. If there's other areas that you want to reawaken the life of Christ about in your connection group, go for it. Do it. It's not about a formula and following different things. This is just to get us started. Spend time to get a reawakening to him. Remember that because of his life, death, and resurrection, we get to have a relationship with Jesus here and now, not only in the future, when we go to be with him forever. And nothing, nothing, as Paul writes in Romans, can ever take that away. Nothing. Let's sing a couple of songs and then I will come up and close with a word and some prayer. Grace? One of the ways that we can reawaken ourselves is what we're doing right here this morning. We come together to worship, to fellowship, to learn together what it is that God's word has taught us. Again, the author of Hebrews encourages us this way when they write, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Mm -hmm. Father, yes, help us to spur one another on. Help us to encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, as we go from here this morning, may we be more focused on you. May we not fall into the trap of just kind of getting lazy with who you are in our relationship with you. But may we seek to all the more embrace it and grow in it and have it become more living and active in our lives on the horizontal plane in which we live. Lord, may all that we do, whether in word or deed, bring you glory and honor and praise the highest. Bless everyone.